fellow Utah skiers and riders. There's snow in the mountains and another great season is upon us across the entire state of Utah. What an amazing early season it has been with a wonderful blanket of Thanksgiving snow leading into December. Hi, I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Last Chair from Ski Utah, telling the story of the greatest snow on earth. Last Chair will take you inside Utah's majestic mountains, putting a face on the resorts where we all love to ski and ride. It's about that mountain life experience, blending those majestic views from the peaks with the exhilaration of pushing our boards down into the fall line through that wonderful Utah powder. This week, we've headed up Little Cottonwood Canyon to the beautiful Alta ski area. Alta is just a tiny village that was a boomtown at its inception in 1871 as the entire Wasatch Range became dotted with mining claims. Today, the mines are closed, but the chairlifts whisk skiers high up to the flanks of Mount Baldy and Sugarloaf, carving big turns through the powder down Ballroom or Devil's Castle. As you look up into the mountain, you can Almost imagine the scene as Alta's favorite son, Alf Angen, drops down high rustler at the end of the day. It's an amazing mountain. It's also the time of year when skiers are really itching to get into new terrain, but it takes time to get a resort up to full operation and make it both enjoyable and safe for skiers. Today, we're joined by one of the key leaders behind the scenes here at Alta. Dave Richard, also known as Grom, is a 19-year veteran at Alta. More importantly, he was born and raised right here in Utah and learned his way around the Wasatch Mountains as a child. He's worked as a heli guide for Wasatch Powderbird Guides, Avalanche Rescue Dog Handler, a competitive free skier, a member of the Wasatch Backcountry Rescue Team, and a longtime patroller here at Alta. He now heads up snow safety. While he may be someone behind the scenes as an Alta skier, you should consider him your best friend as he helps to keep you safe. And Grom, welcome to Last Chair, and great to have you join us today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. You know, it's been an amazing season so far, and I know that Thanksgiving hit you pretty hard, and we're going to get into a little bit more detail on that, but uh, just in a nutshell, how was that Thanksgiving opening weekend? Well, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be open again and, and you know, have people back, and we're skiing again, which is fantastic, but uh, it would, it's a lot of work, especially this year. It's been tough. Um, a lot of snow all at once. We went from having nothing to set the mountain up to, you know, a 58-inch, 60-inch base in three days flat. And, and that made for some long days for the Alta Ski Patrol, scurrying around and doing avalanche work and setting up this hill so that we could all go powder skiing. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about it, but let's learn a little bit about you, uh, your background. I know that you grew up here in Utah and uh, the Wasatch Mountains were your home as a child. And tell us a little bit about how you grew up in the mountains and what they mean to you. Well, this is, it is my home. It's where I was raised. And my father uh, was an Alta Ski Patroller in the early 70s. And in 1972, he was an assistant director of the Alta Ski Patrol, and he met my mother, who was up here taking a year off from college and working at the Rustler Lodge. And uh, they made their life here in the Wasatch Mountains, climbing and skiing and as a huge part of Alta. Uh, all said and done, he ski patrolled for Alta for 33 years. And uh, when he left, I jumped on board. So, Do you remember that first time that you went up on the mountain with him? I don't remember the, the first time at all. I have a lot of memories of my childhood in Alta. Um, it was a wonderful childhood being raised in these mountains. We were babysat by the employees of Alta Ski Area. 
you know, at the age of seven years old, we were cut loose, uh, untethered and untouched for, you know, hours a day to go out and just ski powder and get hurt and get lost and <laughs> have a wonderful time. It's and the best way to learn. It, it was the best way to learn. And, and, uh, you know, this mountain community looked out for us. And if one of the kids was lost or hurt, you know, and dad heard about it pretty quick and we got it figured out. It was great. Yeah. Did so. you ever, uh, did you get to know Alf Angen at all? Is that as a young, young I, boy? I knew Alf not well. Um, you know, I, I was more in the locker room of the ski patrol than that of the ski school. But yeah, I knew Alf and I have memories of, of Alf and, and also of Alan, you know, skiing us around when we were kids. Uh, the, the kids program here at Alta called the, what was initially the Alta Youth Club, I think, uh, was actually created to babysit the ski patrollers and ski schoolers kids because we were That's getting great. in so much trouble. And now it's this huge booming thing with free ride teams and race teams and all this other stuff. But that was really our, our in with the ski school at that point was, was uh, when they created this program to more than anything, look after the kids. We didn't, really do a lot of ski instruction so much as we ski powder every day. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, that I love so much about being here in the Wasatch is that mountain life, that characteristic of living your life in the mountains and being able to get up there on skis or in hiking boots or whatever it might be. It's, it's really quite an amazing thing, the mountain life. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, I would never trade growing up in these mountains and there's been a lot of change and there's many, many, many more people, but the rocks are still the same and the trees are just a little bit bigger. And you know, the mountain itself hasn't changed. The, the geography is the same. And that's a, that's the place I fell in love with as a kid. So Grom, I was reading this story, uh, that Kristen Almer wrote. I don't know if you remember it all, but it was from, I think, 2001. I think it was in Powder Magazine where uh, she wrote about you and I think Dave McReynolds and called you guys the new generation of Alta. But that was like 20 years ago. You know, look back on that and how has it evolved since then? Well, A, that's incredibly flattering. I, I don't remember it. Um, but that's pretty flattering to be, be a definition or a defining member of a generation, I suppose. But, uh, wow. I think that's what we were just talking about with what does Alta bring in the future and the change is the people, right? Now I'm the old generation of Alta in the eyes of the young skiers here. And now I'm the funny, funny old guy. That's the grumpy snow safety director, you know, and, and they're the, they're the new generation. So I look at the Pollard kids that are skiing up here now, Sam Cohen, who is the son of the famous ski photographer, Lee Cohen. And uh, they're the new generation. And they're those kids that are skiing faster and doing things that I never even thought possible. So I don't know. I think you've done your generation well. <laughs> Thanks. We'll find out in the end, I suppose. <laughs> no, thank you. What are the things that you like to do outside of being on the mountain here? You know, <laughs> it sounds silly, but romantic walks on the beach. Nothing <laughs> every, wrong with that. <laughs> every, every spring I leave here and I go somewhere hot and sunny and uh, I get out of here. And uh, that's really nice because when I come home to these hills, I, I rediscover it in some ways. And then I spend a lot of time in the summer uh, running rivers and 
kayaking, things like that. But this is always home. And, you know, is there anything I'd really rather do than this? No. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather be here, frankly. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Alta. It is a great culture and an amazing history uh, that dates back all, well over a century to the mining era and then back to the 30s for the ski area. Talk a little bit about the history of this place and what has made it so special. Well, you know, the history behind Alta is one of exploration and rugged individualism, and that lasts till today. Uh, the miners, they had a tough go of it up here, and their entire village was wiped out by avalanches on numerous occasions, and multiple people were killed in those events. And they said, well, we like it there, and there's money to be made there, so we're sticking around. And then uh, in the you know early 1900s, uh, Alf started skiing over the ridge from uh, Brighton and saying, we should build a ski resort there. And that ski resort continues to exist as, as you said, a very small community made up of very unique individuals and a mentality of that exploration uh, thrives to this day where, you know, people ask me on the lift, hey, what's the best run at Alta? And I say, I don't know, go find out. Go, go explore, go have fun, you know, wander around, get lost. And I bet you find something you like a lot. So. You know, I love your comment about the rugged individualism. I think mm -hmm. that really says what Alta is about. It's a rugged area. And as you said, go find your favorite run. Right, right. You know, we're not, we don't, uh, we let skiers be skiers. And part of that to us is adventure skiing, not Every rock is marked. Not every hazard is marked. Uh, we're not going to hold your hand down every single ski run. We want you to go out and explore and go skiing. And, you know, you may find yourself in a little bit over your head, but 99% of the time, people figure that out and they go back and they tell their friends, I discovered this run that was unbelievable. So. You know, you, you hit it right on the head because when you go back home, you're not going to tell them about that great groomer that where you arc some nice turns. You're going to tell them about that, maybe at the time, horrible adventure you were having in the trees. But when the story gets told, it's a lot different. That's right. You know, it's, it's what uh, I hear people describe these days as type two fun where it was really horrible at the moment, but then when you get back to the bar later, it was the best experience of your life, and you were a, a god in the world of skiing. So. That's high wrestler, right? <laughs> That's high wrestler, I suppose. That's your trip to the far wall of Devil's Castle, for sure. You know, I, I, I got to say today, we're, we're recording on a day where it's absolutely bluebird, warm day, just great hard pack, and I, I know that everybody skis here for the powder lines and the trees and, and coming off the high traverse, but... Boy, you have some really nice cruisers here. We do. It's a fun place. I mean, it's a fun place to go out and ski, uh, you know, mellow, fun terrain. There's plenty of wide open space to go fast on some of those runs and just let them run and feel like a World Cup downhiller for you know, a few seconds of your life. There's a lot of good terrain for that. So. Yeah, it, it, it really is fun out here. So this time of year in particular, skiers are getting out there. They're having fun. They're kind of looking around and say, why can't I ski there now? But mm -hmm. I want to, before we get into like 
talking about it now. Let's go back into this fall. It takes a lot to get a resort ready. What are some of the things that the resort is doing in the fall to prepare for that first snow? Well, you know, the resort, people think of ski resorts as being six-month operations, and they're not. It's 24 hours a day for six months, but it's 365 days a year in some fashion, whether we're maintaining chairlifts all summer long, uh, you know, greasing wheels, literally, uh, fixing snow cats, fixing snow guns, getting ready to put all that stuff out on the hill. In the avalanche world, we're taking delivery of, of lots of explosives. We're maintaining artillery. We're putting uh, our gas exploders, our remote avalanche control systems in place on the mountaintop. And it goes on all summer long. And then right about November 1st, we go, wow, winter snuck up on us again. We better get this stuff on the hill and ready to go. So um, it's, it's a very in-depth program, and it's supported by a huge staff of people that you would never recognize on the hill that work incredibly hard uh, year-round to get this place ready to go skiing so that when it does snow and uh, – Someone says, all right, open it up, you know, we're ready for that moment. You know, I know that Alta gets around 500 inches of snow a year, but snowmaking still has become a very vital part of the operation over the last decade or so. Uh, how has that improved the experience for the guests here at Alta? Well, snowmaking has a huge place in Alta ski area in that we don't rely on it for the powder that you were talking about everybody comes here because it's the powder mecca of the United States. And the snowmaking allows us to put down a solid base on those groomed runs that you were also talking about, that those wonderful cruisers. Because sometimes in the early fall, like this, there's not much natural snow to ski. And we can still get this place open on snowmaking. And we can ski top to bottom. Uh, on both sides of the mountain with good snowmaking snow and, and good wide open groomed runs, let people get their legs underneath them. And then uh, when it does snow, they're ready to go. And further that snowmaking lasts until the spring that when it gets warm, that snowmaking snow sitting there as our base on those groomed runs helps us to continue long into the spring. Whereas normally natural snow would melt, honestly. You know, as we get into the season, and I know that you targeted a Thanksgiving opening. I think you opened November 29th this year. Yeah. So there's, to the eye of the skier, there's a lot of snow around, and particularly this year where you had, uh, what, over 100 inches of snow in those first few weeks. What You can't just decide to open up the resort. You have to stage this thing very carefully. Talk a little bit about how that staging takes place and why it's so important. Well, in a perfect world, we would open up everything and just go skiing. But the reality of it is, this is a big ski resort, you know, and we are faced with snowpack issues in the avalanche world, uh, snowmaking issues, and the ability to groom in the grooming world. And everything has to come kind of in stages. We, the reality is you just can't do everything at once. And so there's a lot of logistics that go into that and a lot of thought that many people wouldn't understand or, or see. I think if we explained it to everyone, they'd get it. 
But uh, we bite off pieces of terrain in bite-sized chunks, and we manage our skiers without them knowing it so that they go and they ski up those pieces of terrain. And we go, okay, now we've got that one under control. Let's move on to the next one. And the first one's now beat up, so they see a gate drop and there's powder snow, so they go and they chew that one up for us. And a couple hours later or a couple days later, the next one. And, you know, we move on like that. And we're really managing our skiing public to to go and ski things that we want them to ski and, and chew up so that we can get them open with confidence moving into the future. So, so. when – is there a, like an underground buzz for skiers to learn – when that next gate is dropping and where it's going to be? There is. I don't know what, how they get their information. I honestly don't. Um, but the locals know what's going on. Sometimes the locals know what's going on better than we do, I think. <laughs> you know? um, the, our local community is really tuned in to uh, – what's going on up here and they talk with the ski patrollers and they talk with the ski schoolers and they talk with the cat drivers and they are smart people and they can put together the puzzle and know what's going on. Do you usually have a little crowd when you're going to drop a gate? Always. Always do. Always. How yep. long will they wait? Oh, I, I, I've seen people wait hours for Devil's Castle, literally hours. Is and it worth it? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, the far wall of the castle is one of the greatest runs in North America. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just, uh, getting out there against that big wall. And if you're the first person out there and there's only one set of tracks from a patroller before you, you're going to have the run of a lifetime yeah. and they'll wait hours to do it. Yeah. It's crazy. But now, I know that some of the aspects that you've talked about in terms of opening different pods of terrain are just operational, but a lot of it has to do with safety. What are the safety elements that are at play early season? So early season snowpacks are, by definition, shallow snowpacks usually. And just for the two-second science class in snow, snow science, a shallow snowpack is a weak snowpack. Pretty much all you need to know about it. So shallow snowpacks based on October snow, which is what we had this year, are fragile. And then you dump a 70-inch storm on top of all of it right on opening weekend. And you have to manage the people and the terrain in such a manner as to, to keep everyone safe and, and having a good time. But the primary concern is safety. We opened late on opening day. We just weren't ready to have skiers on our hill you know, at 9.15 on opening day. Safety comes first, and uh, we manage terrain just like we manage people. We bite off small chunks. We use explosives to mitigate avalanche hazard. We dig a lot of holes in the snow to look at it, figure out what's really going on out there, and uh, kind of read the clues that, that nature gives us so that we can make good decisions about people's safety and opening those pieces of terrain. And that's going on today. I mean, we're biting off one little piece of terrain at a time, and there's people out there running routes with explosives right now as we speak. So on the day we're recording this uh, uh, Bluebird Day, beautiful out there, uh, you had patrollers out on the high traverse 
look like dropping charges down into Greeley. Can you kind of talk through a little bit about what is going on up there and what they're seeking to accomplish with the mitigation? Mm -hmm. So the important word is mitigation. And mitigating is to reduce the risk to life and property, right? You can't eliminate risk in the mountains. People fall and hit rocks. You know, trees are there. there there's obstacles. There's, there's risk in skiing, and that's just the reality of it. We mitigate avalanche hazard to reduce that risk to a level that we think is acceptable, and people are not going to go out and get caught in avalanches on our terrain. Um, those people are out there using explosives to uh, trigger uh, avalanches in certain places where they think, you know, that avalanche may be most likely to occur. Um, and we then read those results as kind of a story, as a clue. Uh, three days ago, we were triggering very large, very destructive avalanches with very little effort. And as time has passed and the snowpack has adjusted to its new load and the temperature has increased and things have changed in our snowpack and in our weather, uh, those giants, so to speak, have crawled back into their cave to go to sleep for the time being. So now's our opportunity to go out, make sure that they're still asleep by using explosives. And if they are, in fact, which we think they are, and we're very confident about that, we opened big terrain today based on that concept, um, we can open more terrain and put more skiers on it. And then those skiers are our number one tool in avalanche mitigation. People don't realize that, but the skier is the number one tool in avalanche mitigation, not the explosive. The more skiers I can put on terrain to chop up that weak snow, the better off we're going to be all season long. So, so skiers are coming here and they're, they're recreating in a controlled environment. And yeah. you have a team that's amazingly experienced. What knowledge, though, should skiers bring in when they're skiing the big terrain here? Well, I think there's – it goes back to what I said a second ago. There's inherent risk in skiing. Uh, you should ski with a partner all the time. You should be uh, – watching that partner all the time. Um, you know, I would love it if every skier in the world wore an avalanche beacon every single day. I don't see that as a reality, but I would love that. And you are, most of our locals do. And it's, it's really a great thing because they recognize that as hard as my crew works, and as good as we would like to think we are, uh, we can't control nature 100% all the time. So short of people skiing with beacons, which I understand they shouldn't need to because they are in a controlled environment, uh, skiing with a partner is probably the best thing you can do. Yeah, that's really yeah. good advice. That's probably the best thing you can do. Just like so. scuba diving. Yeah. Or going out in the backcountry. Right. Have somebody with you. You wouldn't go on your own, you know, so... And then you got someone to share your experience with to 
call you out in the bar when you tell them how, how much of a hero you were. And they say, no, you really weren't that good. What's the value of, uh, for, for the recreational skier value of avalanche education, what things can they do or what can they learn that would be valuable for them to knowledge to have just being up in the mountains? You know, for a recreational skier, you really don't need to know the science behind avalanches. Uh, Many of the old-time avalanche professionals probably couldn't tell you a faceted snow crystal from a faucet, honestly. But they survived for a long time by simply being observant. And I think that's the most valuable thing you could learn from any avalanche class or climbing course or anything. That's how you stay alive in the mountains is by simply being observant. If something doesn't look right, you need to stop and slow down. So I could tell everyone to take an avalanche class and get smart. But if you're really going to ski in the ski resort 99% of the time, you probably don't need that. You just need to look around and say, something doesn't look right. I need to either figure out what's going on or I need to ask one of those silly patrollers in their red coat and say, what's going on? You know, why doesn't that look right? And that's fine. And realistically, the recreational skier, unless you're just interested in dorking out on snow, doesn't need a whole lot of avalanche education. But they got to be aware. You got to be, be aware. You got to be aware. But the awareness just comes with observe, being observant. Now, if you're going to be a backcountry skier, that's a whole different game. Recreational backcountry skiers need to be their own avalanche forecasters. And, and I think that takes them away from being recreationalists. They have to be professional avalanche forecasters. Because they're on their own. They're making their own decisions. So as you go through the early season, through December, heading up to the holidays, with each chunk of new terrain that you open, you're making skiers happy. Does that give you and your team a real sense of pride that, hey, we've been able to get them out there and get them out there safely? Enormously. Yeah. It, it, watching people you know and people you've never met have the time of their life is an enormously rewarding moment to say, you know, the fact that I worked 15 hours a day for the last seven days so that that one person could have the time of their life. That's pretty cool. It's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. And, you know, I should be completely honest. The other reason why the Alta Ski Patrol pushes so hard to open as much terrain as we can is we're skiers. My, my ski patrol wants to go skiing and they can't go ski it unless it's open either. So they are willing to work really hard so that they can go ski powder too. Yeah. When, when, when you're riding up the chairlift, uh, doing your job and you're sitting next to a customer, uh, what are the typical things that they'll ask you? Well, it's always, where's the best snow today? And I tell them, I don't know, go figure it out, (laughs) go find out, you know, um, Always asking. People understand that Alta's family, and they ask, how long have you been here? And I think a lot of first-time visitors to Alta ask that question, thinking you're going to tell them, oh, this is my second year, but I'm going back to college next year or something like that. And, you know, well over 50% of our ski patrol says, oh, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know. So they always ask how long we've been here and, um, you know. I'm, I'm 19 years in and I still feel like 
the junior guy some of the time when I look around. So there's a lot of there's a lot of culture and a lot of longevity here, and I yep. think that's what makes it such a such a great place. Yeah, it really is. What so. do you see in the future for Alta? Well, you know, Alta changes every day. Uh, the Alta of today is different from the Alta of yesterday, which is different from the Alta of 10 years ago before the Collins or before the Collins left, you know, um, I guess that was 14 years ago now, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, time flies, time flies, but, uh, and it's very different from the Alta that I knew as a child and that my father knew in the seventies when he was here and that Alf knew and the, you know, we can go on and on and on forever. So I don't know what it's going to bring. I don't, I know that in the avalanche world, there will be major changes to improve the safety of our customers and of our employees um, through different technologies, new technologies, moving away from military artillery, which we've used for many, many years. Uh, so there will be changes there. There will be new lifts over time, I'm sure. There may be new terrain, you never know. Um, the real change will be the skier. And that's that's the thing that has changed Alta the most. We can build new high-speed lifts and people will say, oh, it changed Alta forever. But it really didn't. It just allowed the skier to evolve. The The new mentality of the young skier that skis faster, jumps higher, flips over more times or whatever it is they're doing. I can't even keep track. Um, that's what's changed Alta and that mentality that comes with it. You know, Alta has gone from a very relaxed, slow, you know, take our time, powder skiing, you know, environment to, really one of the epicenters of the world's free ride community. And uh, that changes everything. You, you bring in that mentality, that style of skiing with those faces and it's a different place. Yeah. So Dave Richards, you're known up in the mountain as Grom. How did that come about? Grom came about, <laughs> I, so growing up here, I was, I was, you know, quite young when I was on the hill and, there is a, a professional skier who is a good, good friend of mine named Dave McReynolds. And Dave McReynolds grew up as a surfer in California. And all the surfer kids were called Groms. And he looked at me one day and he goes, you're the Grom. I was 10 years younger than he was. And, you know, I was probably, I don't know, I was quite young at the time. But uh, he was working in the gold miner's daughter and he tagged me as the Grom and everyone around the mountain started calling me Grom and it just stuck. And here I am, you know, a few years, a few years <laughs> later and I'm still, still the Grom, which I'm proud of. I mean, if people still want to call me a little kid, then I must be doing something right. Now those yeah. nicknames are, are, are pretty crazy and you have to sometimes take a step back and think of how do we get here and why is it still here? It's mm -hmm. part of branding. It's about who you are. Yeah. So Grom, what's, what's a magical day for you up on the mountain? Describe it for us. You know, my day starts very early. I get out of bed at 2.45 in the morning, and I ski. I get to cross-country ski to work, which is not something most people get to do. And I have 
15 minutes of cross-country skiing through the storm of pure bliss with no one around and just me in the light of my headlamp in a, in a snowstorm. And it's amazing. There's no traffic. There's, n- there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing. You're just out there on your own. And so I go from my ski to work, which is wonderful, to uh, a period of very high stress, working through the plan, making a battle plan for what we're going to do for the day. And then we get out on the hill and we get to watch the sun come up from ridgetops. And we're watching one of the greatest phenomenon in the world, the avalanche, uh, roar down mountainsides, one of the most destructive forces in nature, uh, moving at the wave of your wand sometimes. And then uh, we get to go skiing. And then our public gets to go skiing. And everyone comes home at the end of the day after a big powder day, and I get to ski home again at night. That's the perfect day. No matter how stressful it is, the reward of those few moments of quiet and the sheer bliss of our public and our locals going skiing and having the time of their life because... I got up at 2.45 in the morning and my whole crew came to work at 5.30 in the morning instead of hanging out with their kids on Christmas Day so that the entire world could write on Instagram about how great Alta was. So, Well, on behalf of all of the Alta skiers, we thank you for that. We're going to close this out with a little lightning round. Okay. Just a few sample questions we're going to throw out to you. Uh, favorite run at Alta? Farwell of Devil's Castle. Favorite Utah resort outside of Alta? Snowbird. Uh, favorite backcountry destination that you're willing to share? Not going to share. You're not going to share. <laughs> Come on, give us a hint. <laughs> Let's just say it's in the wilderness area. You'll never see a helicopter and you'll have to walk a lot further than just up Cardiff Pass. <laughs> okay. um, favorite Utah craft beer? Favorite Utah craft beer, TF Brewings, Ferda. Those guys are really doing a job, aren't they? They're great. <laughs> great addition to the landscape. Yeah. Uh, favorite activity outside of skiing? Kayaking. Where do you like to go? Uh, I spend a lot of time in the desert rivers of southern Utah, but a lot of time in Idaho as well, on the salmon and the payup. So. Other than grabbing a sandwich from your backpack, best lunch on the mountain at Alta? Uh, what used to be called Chick's Place is now Collins Grill. Pretty good food. It's pretty good, Pretty isn't it? good food. Watson's making great burger as well. But. And we'll close it out. Groomers, powder, glades, or moguls? Powder. Every day. Right on. <laughs> no questions asked. Dave Richards, thank you so much for uh, joining us here and taking us a little bit inside things here at Alta. Great season coming up, and we appreciate all that you and your team does. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great day here at Alta. It is a bluebird day today, but we're going to have plenty of powder coming throughout the season and into the holidays and all the way to the spring. Hope to see you up here in Little Cottonwood Canyon at Alta. Until then, thanks for joining us to learn more about the greatest snow on earth. I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Ski Utah's Last Chair. See you on the slopes.